Good morning. Today is September 3, 2021. This is Tommy Ray, and we're in episode 23 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. For years, I clipped newspaper articles and filed them away. It's easy to look back and see what issues water managers, developers, farmers faced then. A lot has changed, but some things remain the same. Today, we're going to concentrate on Aurora and its ability to patch together water sources for its 380,000 citizens. Aurora is the third largest city in Colorado, only surpassed by Denver with about 725,000 and Colorado Springs with about 475,000. That was in 2019. Fort Collins is in fourth place with 170,000. Forty years ago, Aurora was considered an upstart, but had big plans to grow. It had all that land to the east, which could be annexed and developed if wanted. In Aurora's early days, Aurora had so little water that it had to turn to its neighbor for water. Denver had the talent, the money, and the desire to continue developing water supplies. Aurora had no choice but to become a customer of Denver Water. Denver could dictate where water lines would be laid and how much water would be supplied. Of course, this favored Denver in its competition to attract growth. Aurora's leaders chafed at that. Here's what the July 11, 2003 Rocky Mountain News said. Enraged over the Goliath Denver Water Board's efforts to dictate development in the region, Aurora embarked on an aggressive search for its own far-flung water supplies. There is an enormous cost to buy, store, and deliver water. Only the biggest cities, such as Denver and Colorado Springs, could afford such costs. That's why many of the state's most accessible and most reliable water rights were already in the hands of those two larger cities. But Aurora set its sights. Its first major project was the Homestake Reservoir near Leadville in cooperation with Colorado Springs. This $42 million project was completed in 1967 and delivered about 20,000 acre-feet of water to Aurora. We talked about the Homestake Project in Episode 6. For a long time, Aurora only consumed about half this fully consumable supply. Remember, new water introduced into a different basin can be fully consumed. The remaining half returned to the plant via the Metropolitan Wastewater Treatment Plant and benefited farmers downstream for a long time. Aurora was not done. Its next major project was Spinney Mountain Reservoir. This reservoir was completed in 1981 and holds a maximum of about 54,000 acre-feet. Of course, the firm yield out of this reservoir and out of any reservoir, is much less than its capacity. The firm yield out of Spinney 
is probably close to 20,000 acre feet. It is located in Park County, south of Fairplay on the Middle Fork of the South Platte River. It is the main storage vessel for Aurora's Colorado and Arkansas River rights, as well as its West Park County water rights. Releases to the South Platte River are adjusted daily to provide fish habitat and accurate water rights distribution. The Rocky Mountain News article reported where Aurora's water came from and the percentages of each. Doing some rough calculations based on one acre foot being able to serve about five people, I estimated that Aurora's reliable water supply in 2003 was about 60,000 acre feet. Of this, 22% comes from the Colorado River Basin, mainly from the Homestake Project. Over 60% comes from Platte River sources, with Spinney Mountain accounting for more than a third of those Platte River sources. Then the remainder, or about 18%, comes from the Arkansas River Basin. There are other minor sources of water, but today I want to focus in on the Arkansas River Basin because there was a huge fight over the Rocky Ford Ditch that was emblematic of animosities that can develop between cities, developers, farmers, neighbors when water is moved off the farm. This was an ugly fight and probably lots of lifelong animosities farmed. I think back to Patty Limerick's poem. It's kind of hokey, but I want to repeat it. Rural and urban places are tangled together like laces. They're like sister and brother. They depend on each other. They have never been opposite cases. It's unfortunate that there are hard feelings when one farmer sells his water and others want to continue farming. Yes, under Colorado water law, protections are afforded those who don't sell. Thus, they should be able to continue to farm with all the water they ever got. Then how does it sometimes get to be so ugly? The Rocky Ford Ditch is an example of how bad things can get. Let's talk about that ditch, and then we'll talk about the animosities farmed around that ditch. Where is it? How much of Aurora's water comes from it? Was a pipeline built to deliver that water? How much of the ditch does Aurora own? Rocky Ford is a 13-mile ditch that starts near La Junta, which means, by the way, the board in Spanish, as in board of directors. It serves, or served, about 7,000 acres of irrigated ground. This is fairly small as compared to other agricultural ditches. Only about 6% of Aurora supplies comes from the ditch. A pipeline was not built between Aurora and La Junta. Aurora's first buy into this ditch was large, and they immediately owned a majority of the ditch. We'll talk about that. 
Subsequently, they were able to patch together almost all the ditch shares. So how does Aurora get this water? It's a long way from Aurora to La Junta. The answer? Through a series of complicated legal exchanges of water that allows Aurora to take water out of the Arkansas all the way back up near Leadville. The water actually comes from Twin Lakes Reservoir, which fills with runoff from the Colorado River Basin for use by farmers and cities downstream in the Arkansas River drainage. It's part of the Frying Pan Arkansas Project. For Aurora to get it, the water flows by pipeline to the Otero pumping plant, which sends the water over the mountains south of Leadville into a seven-mile open channel and into Spinney Mountain Reservoir. From there, it goes into the Platte and eventually into Strontia Springs Reservoir through a pair of tunnels and into Rampart Reservoir for later use. Other Twin Lakes water, meanwhile, is pumped into the Arkansas River Basin, then continues its flow through Salida, Canyon City, and Pueblo until it reaches Rocky Ford and the other ditches on the Arkansas east of Pueblo. Since Aurora now owned most of the water that was historically diverted into the ditch, less water than previous can be diverted into the ditch, but still should be enough to get the holdout farmers all the water they ever got. The remaining Arkansas River water travels on downstream to other head gates and eventually out of state. There's not much water left in the river as it exits the state, but Colorado does have a compact with Kansas to deliver a certain amount of water. We'll eventually get to that compact in future episodes. Now to the part of the story that gets contentious. The American Crystal Sugar Company had built a factory near La Junta and processed sugar beets from 1900 until 1979. By then, sugar from sugarcane harvests in Florida and Hawaii became cheaper and drove the Crystal Sugar Company out of business. The closing of this plant was disastrous for farmers in southeast Colorado. Enter Robert Spencer, a businessman from the Denver area. He recognized an opportunity. The sugar company owned 4,000 acres of irrigated ground under the Rocky Ford Ditch. That's almost 60% of the ground irrigated by the ditch. And if he purchased the plant and the ground the sugar company owned, he would also control a lot of very senior water rights. He did his due diligence and bought the whole shebang for $13 million in 1980. Since he then owned the majority of shares in the ditch, he controlled operation of the ditch. He could also change the bylaws under which the ditch operated. Other farmers along the ditch were suspicious. Spencer did not reveal any plans he may have had. Meantime, 
The summer of 1980 was a sizzler, and Aurora needed more water. Spencer surely shopped his water rights to several cities along the Front Range, but no one knew for sure what he was planning. Of course, all the farmers were suspicious as to what Spencer might be doing. One of the most suspicious, according to the Rocky Mountain News, was Ron Asherman, a local farmer who was well-respected. Asherman watched Spencer fly into and out of town to attend meetings. One thing was clear. Spencer was no farmer. He and his attorney, Ken Broadhurst, would attend meetings and then leave. Broadhurst seemed to do all the talking for Spencer. Rocky Ford farmers were fond of claiming they needed two and a half lifetimes just to pay off their farm debt. Suddenly, this million-dollar dealmaker and his attorney were unwelcome winds blowing through town. Aurora, meantime, was continuing to grow and sprout other water deals. They needed all the water they could get. The utilities department at Aurora figured they needed to sell 2,300 taps a year just to make payments on their water purchase agreements. Spencer continued to make quiet inquiries to cities to learn their interest in possibly buying his Rocky Ford water rights. Nothing unusual or illegal going on here. But the locals got worried as to what might happen if a significant amount of water were moved out of their ditch. Ditches protect themselves with provisions in the bylaws that say water cannot be moved out of the ditch. But bylaws can be changed with majority control of the ditch. Uh-oh. At the January 1983 Rocky Ford Annual Shareholders Meeting, Spencer and Broadhurst tried to push through a vote to change the bylaws. Now the locals knew Spencer was planning to move water out of the ditch. The locals, led by Asherman, tabled the vote so they could have time to seek legal advice. Ken Broadhurst bristled at the rejection. We have the majority of shares, so we will just see you in court. But Spencer wanted to round up some of the local shareholders and buy their water. Those who talked to Spencer were labeled traitors by others in town. How could they sell off the town's history and not remember their forefathers who labored for years with horses and sweat to dig the twisting ditches through the prairies? The closing of the sugar plant was the first blow. Now they were taking a shot to the gut. All the while, Aurora's leaders were promoting growth and needing more water. Aurora was becoming one of the country's super suburbs, right up there with Arlington, Texas, and Mesa, Arizona, competing with a larger Dallas and Phoenix. Aurora signed on to the Two Forks Agreement and hoped this was a major part of the solution for their need for more water. Aurora would own up to 14% of the massive Two Forks project. 
Of course, this project was eventually killed by EPA in 1990. The water being moved from the Rocky Ford Ditch was not that much in the grand scheme of things. It would dry up only 4,100 acres of more than 425,000 acres irrigated in the Arkansas River Valley east of Pueblo. But it was a big deal to Rocky Ford. Patches of brown would start to show in an otherwise green oasis. Aurora had purchased the water and had taken it to water court. In October 1986, the court found that Aurora could legally move 8,000 acre-feet of water into Aurora from the headwaters of the Arkansas near Leadville. The locals that had not sold to Aurora wondered if they had made the right decision to hold out. Farm prices were no better than they had been many years back. Farming was a tough business and getting tougher. All across America, farms were getting larger and using bigger tractors and more efficient farming techniques, which kept prices low. It was harder and harder for the local small farms to compete. Even Ron Asherman began having second doubts about not selling particularly after a July 1990 hailstorm totally wiped his crops out. And then the following year, things were even worse on the farms. Many wished they had sold. Eventually, almost all did sell to Aurora at fair prices. But the saga doesn't end there. Enter Bob Rawlings, editor, publisher, of the Pueblo Chieftain. Through his newspaper, he had a big megaphone, and he used it once he learned that Aurora had bought the old sugar plant and its water rights. Bob had grown up in Los Animas during the Great Depression. He loved the green valleys and farming. He even considered buying his own farm. One day he visited a farmer who planned to harvest his fields of wheat the next day. By late afternoon that day, a hailstorm totally destroyed the wheat field. Immediately, Bob recognized the risk of farming and decided not to become a farmer. Now here he was many years later as the self-proclaimed defender of the Arkansas River farming community. Rawlings was not a farmer. He didn't sweat it out year after year, wondering if he could make payments. But here he was. He knew what was best for the farmers. In newspaper editorials, he called the deal irresponsible. And he called Aurora's actions almost criminal. Through his efforts, he even hammered judges to appoint different members to the Southeastern Colorado Water Conservancy District. They would have some influence on water transfers, or at least how to make them harder. Rollins devoted editorial after editorial to stop potential transfers, 
raging that they only benefited Aurora. He also hammered away publicly at farmers who decided to sell. The Rocky Mountain News reported that several farmers, tired of getting berated publicly by the chieftain, decided enough was enough. They would go see Rawlings face-to-face, man-to-man. They wanted him to see they were decent people, not the villains he was making them out to be. At Rawlings' office, the farmers told him things are tough. They hadn't been able to make a living the past few years. Rawlings raised his voice. He reminded the farmers how tough it was on their grandfathers in the years of drought and the Depression. Then, shaking his fingers at them, Rawlings let them have it. Your grandfathers hung onto that land so they could give that legacy to you, and now you're selling out. Incredulous at the incendiary lecture, the farmers left. It was the last conversation they would have with Bob Rawlings. Wow! Can you imagine being a farmer who had to make a tough decision that was best for himself and his family and then have someone who supposedly is a leader in the community berate you? Yep, that would leave a bad taste in my mouth. Not the way to create harmony in a community. I come back to Limerick's poem and hope the ag community and cities recognize that people are only doing what they think is best. They are not trying to harm others. They're like sister and brother. They depend on each other. They have never been opposite cases. In the end, it comes down to private property rights. We should respect any decision to sell private property. And don't be a Bob Rawlings. You are not in the shoes of the farmer. You don't know what is best for him and his family. Don't let third parties try to insert themselves into contracts between two parties. In fact, I think you can get sued for trying to insert yourself into a contract that you are not a party to, but that's for the attorneys to decide. With that said, there were two points to this episode. First was to explain how Aurora became involved in the Rocky Ford Ditch and moved that southeastern Colorado water into Aurora through exchanges so as not to have to build miles and miles of pipe. The second was to remember that the decision by a farmer to sell his water rights is a hard one. Once made, that decision should be respected by the rest of us. This was interesting. I hope you enjoyed it. I only ask that you suggest your friends listen to this podcast series. I have received lots of positive feedback and hope I am going in a direction that continues to interest you. So much to know about water and the issues it creates. For now, I am ready to go relax by my favorite mountain stream. See you next time.